Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, it's been a while since we haven't spoken about basketball, uh, but we're going to do a podcast that's not about basketball, folks. We're going to talk about football because it's the best week of the spring. It's the week of the blue-white game. We're in the day, final days leading up to Penn State's spring game. Uh, things are going to be winding down soon. We're going to be getting that little, uh, that little taste of football before the season kicks off and uh, summer ball starts and all that a little bit farther down the road. Uh, this Saturday, blue-white game. Fun. Penn State football. Isn't that something? Matt DeBear is here to join me. Matt, what's going on? Not much, Bill. Good to uh, hear your your sweet, sweet voice once again. Right back at it. It's been a while. We haven't done a football pod, if memory serves, since we did our National Signing Day pods and well, our early signing period pods. And then, you know, we sprinkled in the National Signing Day stuff, even though I don't think we ever got around to doing Jason Owen and Rasheed Walker. So, uh, sorry about that. They're both very good football players. You should be happy they committed to Penn State and signed and all that. There you go. We just did the entire podcast for you. Uh, we haven't spoken since Ricky Ronnie uh, became Penn State's offensive coordinator. I think that was the last podcast we did where we talked about football. And Matt, here's the thing. Despite the fact that it's been that long since we have spoken about Penn State football on a podcast, not much has happened in the last, you know, however many months since, uh, since you know, we'll just say since the national title game, since that was the end of the college football season. I think that's probably I'm you're racking my brain a little bit here, but I think most of most of the news you've read about on the site, most of the news that uh, has made its way through your various social media channels has been um, Saquon Barkley taking over the NFL related. And that kind of relays right into our next point, kind of recapping spring football to this point. They're I think on practice uh, 13 of or 14 of 15, I believe is, Happened today as we recorded this. Number 15 will, of course, be Saturday during the the blue-white game is that 15th practice. But uh, it's been a quiet three and a half, four months for Penn State, which is, like we were talking about right before we uh, hit record on this, is really what you hope happens with your, your favorite football team from about New Year's Day through Labor Day. And the biggest bit of Penn State football news, as it relates to current Nittany Lions at least, is that uh, Tommy Stevens announced about three weeks ago that he will be staying in Happy Valley um, for his redshirt junior year this coming year and presumably uh, with his eyes in the starting role, starting quarterback position in uh, 2019, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here. But that is kind of underscores, I think, just how quiet it's been for Penn State, which is a really, really good thing this time of year. Um, like, like the saying goes, you, you don't want to be in the news this time of year because chances are it's going to be for for the wrong reason. Someone had suffered a major injury. Someone got into trouble off the field. Someone got a major injury getting into trouble off the field. That's those are about the, the the things that make news this time of year in the college football world. And Penn State's you know really only bit of news was was the Stevens news. If you remember last year at this time uh, the John Reed uh, injury had uh, was known and uh, the severity was was pretty well understood that he would miss last year like he ended up doing. But, you know, most of what we've heard about so far this year is, you know, aside from, from the Stevens news has been just the, the sound bites from, from James Franklin, the sound bites from various players have been made available to the media about, just, you know, how productive the spring's been, you know, how, how well things are going. The, the typical coach and player PR speak you get 
um, during spring football. Everyone has everyone has great spring practices. I don't think we've ever heard a coach talk about, you know, we we really struggled in the weight room this this winter. Um, you know, we real, look really slow and lazy in practice. You don't hear a lot. Everyone's optimistic this time of year, and, and Penn State's no exception, and, and with good reason, especially coming off back-to-back 11-win seasons and returning eight offensive starters especially, um, including uh, one of the, the favorites for the Heisman Trophy and Trace McSorley. Um, we've heard a lot about uh, the offensive line's progress. Michael Mennett probably is the name that we've heard the most about. But, um, again, you don't hear a whole lot other than an optimism surrounding surrounding everything. The the four or five true freshmen that enrolled early have all um, you know received high marks from from their uh, their peers and their coaching staff um, when they've been been discussed. So no, no news is good news. The only news that's coming out is is positive and and uh, cheer, cheerleader esque. So all all seems well at the moment in Happy Valley. Yeah, I, the biggest. The two biggest Penn State football things of the last couple of months have been, one, uh, Tommy Stevens, the backup quarterback, is staying. And two, Troy Ackby got dapped up at the Combine by Deion Sanders for his 40-yard <laughs> dap. Like, that, that's it. We're at a position where nothing is happening with Penn State. or It seems like nothing is happening. I mean, we'll hear... We'll hear the things out of practice that everyone hears. Uh, I believe James Franklin said he wasn't happy with the practice earlier this week. Whatever. You hear the stuff like that, and that stuff, I mean, that's not terrible. I mean, that's not great. Like, you don't want bad practices and stuff, and you don't want, uh, you know, you don't want to hear, in, oh, you know, in practice, so-and-so threw an interception, or so-and-so uh, missed a block. Like, that's the stuff we're hearing. We're hearing stuff that basically says, you know, all's fine over here. I mean, we have some wrinkles we have to iron out, but who doesn't have some wrinkles we have to iron out? Or we'll hear stuff, you know, I mean, the big thing that I think in terms of the current roster that has had uh probably individual thing that has gotten the most attention is the progression of Micah Parsons and how he's getting used to things as you know Micah period Parsons period and all this stuff but it's just been a lot of really calm really easy stuff like you said Matt you know thank god we haven't had a John Reed situation yet because that was devastating hearing him go down but that's the kind of stuff you hear here this time of year uh outside of football like it's very rare that you hear football news this time of year like actual big football news that is good and it seems a little yeah, boring I, go ahead I, I wrote about this last year just kind of coming back to me with my my old memory here but, but i'm gonna put this put this out there right now i don't like spring football i think it's it's fun you know the, the blue white game is fun we get to tailgate you know the hopefully the weather's nice um you know all the jokes about the weather's never nice but um the, the actual football part of spring football is pretty boring to me. You, you know, like we've said a, a couple times here, you don't want to, he- anytime you're hearing anything, it's either really positive and probably doesn't mean a whole lot or something bad has happened. Um, and just to compound that, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the, the, the recording here in the podcast, recruiting has changed a lot this year too with the new recruiting calendar. And so the kinds of things that kind of kept people's attention um, during the off season for, for positive reasons with in recruiting was usually the, the lead on that. Even that for a number of reasons that we'll talk about later has slowed down. So it's really just been, um, and, and I think I, I said this last year too, that because 
Penn State's kind of reached this point in the development of the program or the reemergence of the program, if you will, that spring shouldn't be about, you know, answering major questions. You know, for a couple of years there, it was, you know, Bill O'Brien's first two years and then who's going to be the quarterback. And then James Franklin comes in and who's going to be the quarterback. And so Penn State's kind of reached the point where, you know, the Ohio States, the Alabama's, the LS, or probably not LSU is probably not a great example anymore. The Clemson's of the world have been for a long time where spring football is just kind of a chance for the big names to, you know, break a little sweat, you know, go through a few reps, but take it easy. And for the young guys that you probably heard about a couple of years ago on the recruiting trail to get their first real chance to get significant reps and get the, uh, the opportunity to be coached up a little bit and, because because when this when the season starts the the important reps start going to to the guys that are going to be playing the majority of the snaps and so um, unless injuries strike or there's performance issues those guys don't get runs so spring football should be what it's been like for Penn State and it's you know just another sign I guess of the the resurgence of the program to be back in the position where we're not talking about major stories um, you know it's always going to be position battles and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But we don't have major, you know, major questions. You know, who's going to be in the secondary? It's you know, who's going to be the safety or who's going to be the middle linebacker? It's not you know, trying to answer questions about entire position groups or um, you know, major coaching staff overhauls and things like that. Yeah, I mean, this year, here's who the blue white game is for this year. It is for the it is for the six true freshmen on the roster who have never gotten a chance to suit up and see what it feels like to take the field at Beaver Stadium in a quote-unquote game situation. It's for the new coaches they have on staff, even though there was a fair amount of promoting from within, to see what it's like to have a football game there. And it's the idiots like me who are going to be handed beers and eating them on Saturday morning. There is one more important group, and that is your local beverage distributor. Yes, exactly. Very much for them as well. Right. it's, It's that stuff. And... Don't get me wrong, like, Matt says he hates it, like, or, you know, he hates it from the football perspective. This weekend is not about football. It's about having fun. There's a reason that James Franklin in his tweets is saying, hey, let's get as many Penn State fans here as possible. It's because this weekend is about having as much fun as possible as players, as coaches, as fans, as all that stuff. And, of course, you know, there's, uh, with James Franklin, there's the whole, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we could you know, say we have the best crowd at a spring game just because that's a fun little thing that can help him in recruiting. And James Franklin doesn't need much help in recruiting, but he always wants to go for it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the one thing that we should talk about from the offseason uh, that is worth mentioning, you know, you and I both touched on it a little bit, Tommy Stevens' decision to stay. Uh, he told Bruce Felt, he announced it at a practice, as he announced it at the practice, uh, Bruce Feldman of Sports Illustrated had someone hit publish on a story, uh, and it came out, and Tommy Stevens says, I don't think it was a very hard decision at all. I wanted to look and see if there was a better opportunity for me out there. Ultimately, this is still a fantastic place. I love it here. I have a lot of good friends with great relationships. This is the best for me. I think this is the perfect offense for me. I'm excited to continue to learn and try to get better each day, push trace, and ultimately give our team the best chance we can at being successful. Uh, I have a few thoughts on that quote, but Matt, let's just look at the more general thing, which is Tommy Stevens staying at Penn State 
We'll talk about 2019 in a second because, you know, this is a this is news for the 2019 season. But for the 2018 season, what does it mean that Penn State is going to have Tommy Stevens in the fold? I think the the biggest one is we saw and we saw glimpses of it last year. I think we'll see it expanded, and that's think that's probably one of the reasons why he's staying. But a more of a role in the offense as kind of that do everything guy, you know, catching passes, um, you know, serving as either a decoy or, or getting the ball on the the run pass option look. Um, so I think very much on the field, you know, he's obviously a very talented, very athletic kid. So you're going to you know, find ways to get the ball in his hand, especially with the number one playmaker from last year's team, Saquon Barkley off to please anyone, but the Browns. So, you know, obviously on the field, you have that, but I think too, and I've, I've kind of thought about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks as, as we, we search for stories in what has been a very delightfully dull spring, uh, series of spring football practices is I think it, again, gives the coaching staff a little bit of a, um, I don't know if security blanket's the right term, but it allows them to kind of turn Trace McSorley loose a little bit more because you know you've got a guy behind him who's more than capable of taking the reins if the unthinkable happens and you lose Tommy Stevens for any amount of time due to an injury. And just so I'm going to put this out there in case anyone is you know, yelling at their computer or iPod or whatever listening device they are tuned into at the moment. Trace McSorley is absolutely your starting quarterback. And as uh, Steve Godfrey said, uh, I think we're, we're punching anyone in the stomach that thinks otherwise. <laughs> but, but as far as, um, and I think we saw this a little bit two years ago during the 2016 season when the offense really started to take off. And we all, I think there's kind of a consensus that it took off because McSorley started to become started to become more of a threat to keep the the ball on those run pass options, which just opened up so or not run, the uh, the read options and whatnot. So that opened up so much more of of what Joel Moorhead's offense had in it by creating that threat. And I think a big part of that is the trust they had if something were to happen to to McSorley, where they needed to go to their backup. So I think that even if it's not necessarily something that they're going to admit publicly and why would they? I think that's probably maybe an underrated aspect of, of where things stand with regard to, to how, how the, the offense is, is, is called the sorts of, of things they put into it. Um, and I think too, you think you would talk about recruiting, recruiting is going to be an, an overlying theme, I guess, throughout the, the whole discussion here is it really speaks to me to the culture that Franklin and the rest of the coaching staff have created um, since they came there. Everyone talks about this whole idea of the family atmosphere and, you know, everyone really looks out for everyone. Um, between people I've talked to um, both you know, on and off the record and just the, the indications, the vibe you get from watching the little videos that the program puts out and, and the quotes you hear from players, I don't know if there's another program in the country that necessarily meets the 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 expectation or or, or lives up to what they say about about put, creating that family atmosphere around the program. Um, it's a place where kids want to stay. You know, Tommy Stevens. I'm just gonna go out on a limb here. Had a few options where he could go and be a starting quarterback this fall and have two years to show what he can do um, before he would enter the NFL draft. The fact that he turned down what I assume were some pretty enticing options to be the number two quarterback, be the the lion 
of, of the offense says so much to me about how the players in this program feel about where they are. Um, you know, we all love Penn State. We're all fans. You know, many of us are, are alumni. And so, so we get it. But I think when you look at it from a, I hate this term, the business side of it for a player like Tommy Stevens, who um, certainly wants to, to play and wants to be a starting quarterback somewhere, I think that says a lot that the, the environment that he's in currently is, is so great that the opportunities to do these other things that are, are certainly important to him weren't enough to, to, to pursue. And so I think, you know, it's, you rest assured that as James Franklin and the rest of the coaching staff go into high schools, they host prospects on campus. Um, they, they, uh, go in home later this year and in the next year with the next recruiting class. That's the kind of thing that they can point to with the, these, these players, with their families, with their high school coaches, um, that they are very much um, committed to what they're, they preach when they're talking about it, and, they, and they're not blowing smoke with, with what they're talking about. This is something that they, they believe in and it's something that is working, you know, both you know, results-wise and also you know, they've got a guy like Tommy Stevens who um, loves where he is so much that this is where he wants to be even if he has to wait one more year to be the guy at quarterback. Right. I mean, he... I'm interested to know, uh, I don't know if anyone's asked uh, Stevens this or not, but like, I'm very interested to know, was he just getting offers to play quarterback at places or were their teams saying like, hey, we want you to step in, we want you to be a receiver for us, we want you to be a tight end for us, we want you to do this stuff because his skill set is so versatile that depending on the program, he could walk in tomorrow and be a wide receiver. Uh, I, you know, there are going to be things like running routes, and there are going to be things, you know, the refinement stuff. But he has the a- talent and the athleticism to handle the load that he's given. Uh, from a football perspective, this year, you know, I the best compa- I think the best case scenario, the thing that I think would make it. Um, you know, that would really make it interesting is if, and I have his numbers up here, if Penn State used him kind of in the way uh, that Kentucky used Randall Cobb his freshman year. Randall Cobb, of course, uh, currently a wide receiver on the Green Bay Packers. When he got to Kentucky, he went in as a, a quarterback. Uh, he threw 99 passes. He ran the ball 79 times. He caught the ball 21 times. I, I don't think those numbers are quite right, but... You know, if you get him the ball, X number of plays from scrimmage uh, as a receiver and as a rusher, you run some fun two quarterback sets, you let him throw the football, you have fun ways that you can get Tommy Stevens in this offense uh, that, you know, it's not going to be a matter of he needs to be able to you know, Tommy, just wait one more year and then you're going to get your turn at quarterback. That's certainly part of it, but there's also the added thing of this year we're going to use you in fun ways. We saw some of the fun ways they wanted to use Tommy Stevens last year. Uh, I would imagine that they have a little bit more flexibility to do some more fun stuff now that it's 
you know, he has a full year of these quote unquote lion reps under his belt or a full spring or full summer, whatever you want to say. But also I think an underrated part of this is imagine you're Ricky Ronnie and you're a first year offensive coordinator. You sat there, you watched Joe Moorhead, you studied Joe Moorhead, you study what Penn State's offense is going to be. And reading this quote from, uh, Stevens, where he says, I think this is the perfect offense for me. I'm excited to continue to learn. It implies to me, and it, it confirms some other stuff that has been said, that they're basically going to try and keep Joe Moorhead's offense and the offense he had installed here. Uh, and maybe just make some tweets, tweaks, which is, you know, the smart thing you should do when you had one of the best offenses in college football. Suddenly, Penn State doesn't need to get rid of X number of plays because... X number of plays that are designed to keep a defense honest or keep a defense, catch a defense off guard or maybe get that big play, get that little gadget play because Tommy Stevens isn't there. It's something that makes James Franklin's life easier this year because it makes uh, Ricky Ronnie's life easier as the offensive coordinator who can do be a little bit more creative both in what he has Trace McSorley do, how he uses Tommy Stevens. It gives Trace McSorley someone who's going to push him and someone who's going to make him better in the iron sharpens iron type of thing. It's going to make Tommy Stevens better because he has to push Trace McSorley. And also, by the way, we're talking about him as kind of the foregone conclusion in 2019. I, I'm, I would guess he's going to be the starter, but he doesn't have a chump behind him in Sean Clifford. He has someone who's going to go out there and push him every day too. That quarterback room this year, next year, it's going to be a really, really good group of signal callers, and it's something that's going to make Stevens get the best out of him. And I think this year we're going to see a Penn State team that uses Tommy Stevens in a bunch of really interesting ways. Uh, he'll get his garbage time snaps at QB, although I wouldn't be surprised if you know they give some of those to Clifford to see what they got in him. He'll run those fun, gadgety trick plays. He'll run over some dudes. He'll catch some passes. He'll catch a pass or get a handoff and then throw the football down. They're going to do all that fun stuff. And it just makes Penn State's offense, which is losing three of its most important players from last year uh, in Saquon Barkley, Mike Gusecki, and Deshaun Hamilton. It's just nice knowing they have that safety blanket. Uh, Real quick, uh, while we stay on Stevens for just one last second, Matt, uh, do you think he is – it is safe to – write him in as the starting quarterback in the pen in 2019? Because I would imagine if he's staying, it's because he's going to be the starting quarterback in 2019. But like I said, I think he's going to have some competition from the dude directly behind him. Yeah, I think no one will ever admit this, and nor should they, but my guess is during the discussions that uh, Franklin, and I'm sure Ricky Ronnie was a part of with Stevens and his family, during the spring that indications were made. I won't say promises, but it was, it was understood that he would be a clear cut favorite to win the starting job um, in 12 months from now. Um, Like I said, no one will ever admit it. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot of talk about, well, it's an open competition and Sean Clifford's going to get his shot. But um, Tommy Stevens isn't at Penn state if he doesn't have, some sort of expectation that he is the guy in 2019. Like I said, he's going to have, or he had a lot of, of opportunities. Um, 
I won't speculate on what they are. You know, we've all heard different rumors, but knowing some of, of what was talked about in places that came up, um, it's, it's very, very, very hard for me to believe that he made the decision that he made without the expectation that um, he'll be Trace McSorley's successor next year. Right, and it's again, it's totally possible. They said, listen, Tommy, stick around. You're going to have to fight for the quarterback job in 2019, but stick around, work, fight, all this stuff. Like, it's very possible. Logically speaking, again, we don't know for sure, but just logically speaking, it seemed you would imagine that they said to him, Tommy, it's going to be your job to lose. But I also think that Sean Clifford is the kind of guy who can take the job from him, which is not an indictment against Tommy Stevens or anything like that. It's just Sean Clifford is a really, really good thrower of the football. Um, and Sean Clifford, with, I mean, this leads into the next thing, is we're going to be talking about Saturday. We're going to be talking about a few things Starting with the player that you're the most excited to watch, uh, I don't know if the answer for me is Sean Clifford, Matt. He's definitely on the list of guys who I really, really cannot wait to see get some reps. But is there an individual guy out there who you're most excited to see take the field? And, you know, they're obviously, that, that you would imagine they're not going to go at a million miles an hour. They're not going to try and play the, most physical, fastest football game possible. But who's that one guy who you're excited to see him uh, line up on offense or defense or special teams and see what he can do uh, when he's put out in the spring game? Well, I th the player most interested to watch is Sean Clifford for all the reasons that you mentioned. I think he's going to get a lot of reps on Saturday because McSorley will, will play his token series or two. With, with absolutely no one getting in his face because just why risk it? And Actually, Matt, real quick, let's do an offense and a defense one on this one. Okay, we can do that. Well, on offense, then I was interested and excited to see Sean Clifford. Bill, you know you know as well as I do, or you know because we talk about this stuff, that I've been excited about Sean Clifford from about 12 hours after he committed once I got a chance to to look at yeah. uh, his, his high school film. Back in like He's, 2015 or whatever. Yeah, and kind of the surprise commitment in like June, I think. He was the, the first member of, of his class to commit. But um, he is such a great fit for what Penn State wants to do on offense. Um, he's not the – doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not the most athletic guy. But he just – he remi he's, reminds me a lot of, of the two guys in front of him on the depth chart, Trace McSorley and Tommy Stevens, with just the kind of a player that he is. Um, but like I was saying, he's going to get a lot of reps because McSorley just won't play because there's no reason to – to risk any sort of injury with him. And Tommy Stevens has been out this whole spring uh, dealing with a foot or, or ankle injury. He's been um, seen at practice and on campus with a walking boot. And um, doesn't sound like anything serious, but that's the, you know, the kind of thing that, um, you know, is going to hold him out of this, this, this spring and um, limit his reps, which is probably long-term, you know, a good thing to give uh, Sean Clifford and even guys like Jake Zembeck a chance to just get more reps. You never know, you know, we hope it doesn't come to this, but you never know when those guys might be called on, um, when the re during the uh, the real thing in the fall, and so I think um, you know, long term this is beneficial too for those guys to get get all the reps this year this spring and uh, you know ha you know, be given as good an opportunity as they can if if they're if and when they're called on down the road. On defense, I think the obvious answer is probably Micah Parsons because of all the reasons we talked about during his recruitment. 
um, you know, number one player in the state, top five player in the country, and arguably the most athletic freak that Penn State's committed or had uh, committed since LeVar Arrington. Um, you know, we talk about Saquon Barkley a lot, but when he came out of high school, he what he was really good and exciting, but he wasn't what he became over the last three years at Penn State. Um, Micah Parsons, in a, in a sense, is that already. Um, you know, certainly he's going to have to meet the hype, but um, I'm interested in, to see him and excited to see him for two reasons. One, just to, to see the, the athleticism that he possesses on display. And two, he's, he's playing a new position this spring. He started at middle linebacker. He's actually been um, moved outside, which um, hopefully is a, a sign of the progress of guys like uh, Ellis Brooks, for example, in the middle. Um, but playing a new position physically, I don't think there was any question that he's capable of it, but the mental side of it, and that's probably a little bit of the reason why he's been moved outside too. There's so much responsibility on a guy in the middle that um, it's really hard to expect anyone, regardless of how talented they are, to pick up all the intricacies that are involved with, with playing in the middle of the defense at that middle linebacker spot. A um, couple other guys, just, you know, I, I'll, I'll leave it there, I guess. I'll, I'll give you an, op- an opportunity to step in with some of the other guys that are out there. Yeah, sure. I When I look at the offense, there's no one individual. Like, it's hard because I can't, when I'm looking at the guy that I'm most interested in, and the most guy I'm the most excited to watch. It's the guy who is replacing either Mike Gusecki or uh, Deshaun Hamilton. I, I mean, I think with Saquon Barkley, we know what the line of success. We know it's Miles Sanders' job. Uh, we we I'm going to say assume it's Miles Sanders' job because anything could happen. But I think if you ask any Penn State fan who's going to take over for Saquon Barkley, the answer is Miles Sanders. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, there's going to be. You know, maybe you run into someone who, like, was at Journey Brown's seven-touchdown game or something. But when I look at the rest, when I look at those other two dudes, when I look at who's going to be the Deshaun Hamilton, the safety, well, really, Deshaun Hamilton and Mike Kosecki, the safety valves for Trace McSorley, who are going to be the guys that, as a wide receiver, is able to get open, able to make plays, able to be just that reliable target. And we're going to assume for a sec that DeAndre Tompkins and Juwan Johnson, they're going to function in very similar roles to what they did last year. I want to see who's going to impress me out of the group of Mack Hippenhammer, Brandon Polk, and KJ Hamler. I think those are the three guys who, they are the present and future of Penn State's wide receiver core. And I think they're all really talented dudes, the kind of dudes who are going to play a whole lot of football here and are going to get that first chance to show what they could do because they're all playmakers. Uh, Polk has the speed, just the pure speed that you want out of a matchup nightmare of a receiver. Hippenhammer is... Hippenhammer and Hamler are just both playmakers. Like They're guys who are going to go out and make plays for you. You find ways to get the ball into their hands and they're going to make something happen, which is kind of similar to Deshaun Hamilton. And I really want to see who is going to be able to kind of get that inside track to line up next to uh, Ju- uh, uh, assuming Juwan Johnson and DeAndre Tompkins are starting, which I think that's, those are probably safe assumptions. Who's going to be that third guy and take that job? When it comes to who's replacing Gasecki, I'm looking at guys like Jonathan Holland and Danny Dalton 
and Nick Bowers and Zach Coons. Those are the four tight ends. And you can question any of them. You can question whether uh, Jonathan Holland has progressed enough you know, rounded out his game enough. I, he got some reps last year. Nick Bowers got some reps last year. Uh, Danny Dalton, I don't think he played last year, and Zach Koontz is a true freshman. So there are questions about who's going to be the guy to replace Mike Gusecki, which is a really, really hard job. And they're not that and the Hamilton question, they're not being answered this this weekend. But I think we can get a chance to see some indications of what the coaching staff thinks. Then on the other side of the ball, I'm looking at kind of the same thing. I want to know who is going to replace uh, Marcus Allen and Troy Apke. At safety, Penn State has a whole, whole, whole lot of guys, and they don't have a whole lot of guys who have played college football. They have, uh, they have Aaron Monroe, they have Garrett Taylor, they have Nick Scott, guys who were there and played Little bits last season, but nothing substantive. You know, Scott played the most out of that group. You have Lamont Wade getting kicked up to safety. You have Jonathan Sutherland, who, uh, by all accounts, is just the really physical, tough safety that seems like the natural successor to Marcus Allen. And then you have a guy like an Isaiah Humphreys, who's coming in, who's a talented athletic football player, and maybe he's able to make some noise. So, I'm interested and I'm excited to see who's going to start getting the inside track individually at replacing some of the guys that we saw last year, we saw in the last few years, loved in the last few years, and really left marks on Penn State football. Uh, Matt, let's pull it back. Let's look a little bit more broad. You know, you should never take, I'm going to say it, and I know you are going to say it, and I know we are both going to say it more than just once. You should never assume anything or take any conclusions from the spring game. Barring Absolutely. someone getting hurt, no, nothing. There is no thing you should take from the spring game because there's a whole lot of time uh, before the football season kicks off. Yeah. But, First of all, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned KJ Hamler because what, one of the things that we've, we've tossed around in the last couple months is Who's going to be that the the fun loving locker room oh, video yeah. guy after Marcus Allen? Oh, it's and it, it, yeah, there's there's no debate. If you've seen any of the videos that the the program has tweeted out or put on Instagram, it's KJ Hamler is featured in what probably two thirds at least of them. Yeah, and he, I don't think anyone enjoys being a college football player at Penn State more than KJ Hamler does. That guy just has oozes fun. There was uh, the video that there was a video that posted today of uh, KJ Hamler just goofing around with Tim Tim Banks, where uh, at one point, and this one of my weird comedic things is that I always laugh when someone breaks the fourth wall. Uh, KJ Hamler said something about how he was like Sonic the Hedgehog or something like that, and because of how poofy his hair was, and then he looked right into the camera and smiled. And yeah, he's great. I. He's one of those guys that I'm just inherently rooting for to be good, but if he's not, I know he's going to be really fun. Never um, leave us, KJ. I, I guarantee that by the end of next season, not this upcoming season, but the season after, KJ Hamler is going to be everyone's favorite football player on this Penn State team. But yeah, and, and plus he's okay. really good too. Yes, he is very good. Uh, but yeah, pulling it back a little bit, if there is something, Matt, that again, we don't take, the spring game from a football perspective too terribly seriously. 
if there's something that you're watching really closely, whether it's a position group, whether it's uh, the way people interact with one another, anything like that, what is it going to be? Well, to answer the question literally, what I'm most interested in watching are the Snapchat videos and whatnot from my friends who are going to be uh, <laughs> up at the up at the game this weekend. Because, Bill, Bill, you have tailgated with my friends, and and you know something is going to happen. Um, and one of the cool parts about the blue white game, just to, to go off on a little brief tangent here is because other than the 20 or 25 bucks, they're charging for parking just to kind of cover their overhead. Everything's free other than your, your food and drink at, at the stadium, of course, but the autograph session, the, the carnival that they have outside the stadium, all the different activities for the kids. I love seeing the number of, of families that come up, you know, it's their, and for a lot of them, it's their one opportunity a year to, to be able to bring everyone up and experience something akin to a Penn state game day. Um, for, for a lot of people, it's the first time they're bringing their sons or daughters or grandchildren with them up there to, to the place they went to school or the place they grew up going. So that's just always a cool, unique aspect of it. And then on top of it, my idiot friends and, and our tailgate and, and what will surely be a entertaining weekend for me on social media, since I will not be there to partake it myself. But as for the, the actual intent of the question, um, I touched on it a little bit. I guess that the linebacker situation, just to kind of see who gets looks where, um, like we've said, we're not taking anything as, as gospel as far as, you know, whoever plays well has the leg up. I don't think, you know, treat this as one of 15 practices and it's just the one that we get to see, you know, all of or as much as, a, as much of it as we prefer to before we go back out to our tailgates. Um, but just seeing who gets the most snaps and who get, who's getting looks where, um, to some degree, the same thing along the offensive line. Um, we'll talk a lot about a lot about it over the summer and into the season, but there's a lot of talk and I think realistic expectation this year. The offensive line is going to be quite a strength, um, and certainly not the liability to some degree that it's been over the really the last four years, and really the lack of depth that's exposed, um, you know, that liability, the the inability to really lose anyone without seeing a significant drop off. That's if we if if expectations are met, that's not going to be the case this year. And it really won't be for the foreseeable future. So just seeing where guys get looks, you know, is, is Michael Mennett, you know, getting, you know, the starter at guard, where does Steven Gonzalez slot in? Will Fry's kind of got some looks all over the line this year. Um, seeing how the rotations look. Cause you know, even though it's not, not the real thing, I think that those are the sorts of things where I think you can pick up some, some potential trends, um, especially when the, the guys that are expected to see the majority of the minutes this fall are on the field early on. Um, so some of those little intricacies, I guess. Um, I, you know, Miles Sanders is intriguing. I don't think we'll see a whole lot of him because, you know, everyone fully admits that, he, that he's the guy now, you know, the former number one running back in the country, um, who has you know, said all the right things about biding his time. But, you know, he's been, um, I don't want to say frustrated, but, um, you know, he, he, wants to play. Play. he wants to yeah. play. He wants to play. He wants to play football, guy, yeah. and he really hasn't had quite the opportunity. So, um, you know, hopefully, we see him get get uh, you know a couple touches. You know, maybe break off a big run or two. Um, I, I do think, and this is certainly an intentional um, move by the coaching staff, that you're going to see a lot of ones versus twos from what I, we understand. And so, I think the opportunity is going to be there for um, the presumable starters, presumed starters this fall to to make some plays, you know, build some confidence, you know, create some, some highlights. Um, you'll get the crowd excited, that sort of thing. Um, 
the safety battle, like you mentioned, that's another place, to, you know, just to see who's going to get the snaps. Um, I'm just selfishly, I guess, for lack of a better term, I'm excited to see uh, John Reed back on the field. I don't think we'll see a whole lot of them, but um, uh, our intern, Matt, who's, who's done a great job this spring um, covering some of the media availabilities and whatnot that have gone on um, during the, the weeks of spring practice, um, he's touched on it a couple of times, but John Reed was is infamous among his teammates and the the football beat and probably a number of fans for how much of a student of the game he is um, on top of being a very gifted athlete. Um, the prospect of John Reed with a full year to kind of sit back and watch the game from a, a different perspective, either on the sideline or tape, but, but not, not looking at it as far as preparing for my, you know, preparing myself to play, but preparing, you know, as a coach almost, um, we won't see a whole lot of them, but I, I, it'll be good to see him back on the field, back back wearing the uniform, um, just because that's a guy that's, that's really easy to root for. Um, and then, you know, it's always cool to see some of the walk-ons, the guys that this is this is their game. They're not going to play anything close to, hopefully, um, no, no offense intended, but nothing closely resembling meaningful snaps you know, during, during the regular season. But they're going to get a chance to play in front of 40, 50, 60, 107,000 maybe if, if Coach Franklin gets his way um, in, on the big stage um, in, front of, in front of their fans. And that's, that's always cool to see which one of, you know, which one of those guys or, or whoever steps up and uh, becomes one of those, those blue-white game stars. Yeah, for sure. And you, you kind of touched on just the big picture thing that I'm interested in. Uh, which is not necessarily the offensive line, but where dudes are going to be in the offensive line. I think, I think it's pretty safe to say that we have an idea of four of Penn State, four of the guys Penn State's going to start at offensive line on the offensive line this year. It's going to be, uh, yeah, sorry, brain fart. Stephen Gonzalez, Ryan Bates, uh, Connor McGovern, and Will Fries. Those four dudes are going to start. Who's that fifth guy going to be? And I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like I don't see a good reason why Ryan Bates should play in this game. Uh, maybe not Connor McGill. Like with Penn State's just absolutely abysmal. I mean, Penn State's offensive line must have been like built on like uh, an ancient grave, and there's like a an evil spirit that inhabits. It's like lot locker room, or it's like portion of the film room, or something like that. Because Penn State has had the worst possible luck on the offensive line over the last X number of years. I'm really interested to see, assuming those guys don't play too terribly much, what's the lineup going to look like? Uh, Chaz Wright's another dude. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised to play. I to to see not play. But where is? You know, where are they going to put Michael Mennett? Michael Mennett can play anywhere on the offensive line. Mike Miranda can play, can play anywhere in the inside of the offensive line. C.J. Thorpe looks like he's going to be a future stud. Where do they put him and where do they let him get his reps uh, during the spring game? Where do – get ready, people, on the message board. I'm about to say the name that leads to everyone getting really, really, really weird about the offensive line. Where are they going to put Sterling Jenkins during the spring game? And where are we going to see, do they think that he is still a guy who can push people around and be 
a left tackle? Do they put him on the right side? Do they move him? Do they view him kind of in the similar light to how they view Chaz Wright? Like there, it's going to be fascinating watching how Penn State, because like you said, Matt, there are reasons to believe. I mean, last year it was, you know, they still have some youth along the offensive line. Maybe they, maybe an injury would hurt them. There are reasons to believe this offensive line is going to be a potential strength. Not going to be a not liability like it was at times last year, but it can actually be an honest-to-God thing that Penn State is good at. But we need to see who that fifth lineman is going to be. Uh, I, I guess Michael Mennett. I'm not sure. He just seems like the guy who makes the most sense. And we need to see where they're going to put guys... Uh, when they move people around, where are they going to put Mike Miranda? Where are they going to put CJ Thorpe? Do guys like Devs Holmes and Robbie Martin and Sterling Jenkins get their chance to show how far along they may or may not be? And then just kind of take, again, pulling it back, taking that big picture approach. Along those same lines, I'm really excited to see what they do at cornerback. Uh, I don't expect John Reed to play too terribly much because the dude tore his ACL. 14 months ago or whatever it was, but seeing him on the field will be nice. I, I feel like there's probably not much upside to like having Omani over Wario out there. What do we see out of guys like Donovan Johnson and Zach McPherson and Tariq Castro fields when he takes on a bigger load? Who's the guy they're going to kick in to be that nickel cornerback in situations where, uh, you know, they want to give Reed a break and it's over Wario and Castro field is Zach McPherson able to kind of grab that fourth cornerback spot. Because I know there's been some talk about just the battle back there. And, and I think it'll be interesting just watching the constant, how they're moving guys around, where they think guys' best positions are. And of course, to couch it in everything and seeing how none of those things will be the case in the fall because everything changes during the fall. Uh, this is completely pointless. We shouldn't spend too much more time or any more time talking about the spring game Let's talk about the only thing on earth worse than spring football, and that is recruiting. Uh, Penn State, so far, it's class. It's been quiet. Penn State has a quarterback. It has Taquan Robertson. Uh, Taquan Roberson, apologies, he committed in October. Before he committed, Keaton Ellis, a cornerback from uh, lovely State College, Pennsylvania, committed in September, and that's it. Penn State has two guys in the class right now, which for a Penn State uh, team that it, that is back, well, not, I don't want to say that is back in recruiting, that is establishing itself as one of the powers in recruiting in college football, being 50th nationally and 11th in the Big Ten might not be something you want. But Matt, there are reasons not to be afraid of this. What are they? Um, I wrote about this a couple of weeks back on the site. And I actually just pulled it up to remind myself of what I said because I'm old and it's hard to remember much of anything anymore. But when I wrote this at or wrote that story a couple weeks ago, Penn State had 11 recruit or uh, a year ago when I wrote the story, there were 11 members of the class. It became 12 a couple days later um, when Trent Gordon committed. Um, as you said, Bill, Penn State has two players committed. Uh, those two players have Penn State at that point, 43rd nationally and 10th in the Big Ten. That has surely changed um, in the last couple weeks. I believe Penn State was number one nationally last year um, at this time, and as they were for much of the, the summer into the fall, um, 
partially due to the size of their class, but also partially due to the really good football players they had in the in last year's class. Um, so that's that's kind of the difference. And and James Franklin has been throughout his tenure in state college a guy who has put a high priority on having a big portion of his recruiting class verbally committed by the time they open fall camp. And for a number of reasons, that probably won't be the case this year. Um, the biggest one, in my opinion, is probably the size of the class. Um, Penn State only has, I believe it's 11, what's the number, Bill? 11 seniors, 10 seniors that will exhaust their, here it is, 10 players will exhaust their eligibility yeah. um, this year. And you would that doesn't account for any yeah. possible transfers or anything like that. And you would assume some do, guys are going to go pro because Penn State's a good football program, a good football program, send guys pro early. Exactly. So, so that number of 10 will change, but it's, you know, this far in advance of when they need to know what that number is. That's, that's the number of open scholarships. They know they'll have to work with at this point, or that we publicly know they'll have to work with this class will probably end up in the 18 to 20 range, um, which is still at least five spots or five commits lower than they've had throughout their, uh, all their other classes since uh, James Franklin was hired. Um, so they are just based on the, the numbers have to be a little bit more selective. Another big factor is the class in Pennsylvania is not nearly at the level it has been um, really since Franklin got to Penn state. Um, I don't think Pennsylvania is the, the elite talent producing state that it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, just for all the demographic reasons that we will not get into. Um, but the number one player in the state of Pennsylvania at this point, um, is from Philadelphia. It's defensive end Omar Spates, who does not have a Penn state offer. He is ranked number 270 nationally in the, two, in the uh, 247 composite for comparison. The entire top 10 in Pennsylvania last year in the class of 2018 were ranked 270 or better. So that natural fertile recruiting ground of that Penn State has always relied on and will continue to rely on um, to a large degree just isn't at the level it was and last year or has really been and in recent memory. If, so the, if, if, I may, if I may for one second, uh, Omar Spates, uh, his composite rating 0.9097, uh, that would have been just a tick above Nick Tarburton uh, last year, Nick Tarburton was the number 10 player in Pennsylvania last year and the sixth highest, uh, rated kid from Pennsylvania who ended up going to Penn state. So yeah, just James, James Franklin wants to lock down Pennsylvania. It's hard to justify spending. So, and don't get me wrong. I'm sure James Franklin would love to get some PA as many PA kids as Penn State could possibly get in this class. But when you're dealing with a smaller class, you can't afford to take flyers on kids for reasons like they're from our backyard. Exactly. And I think one of the interesting things to watch in the fall is as the class develops and, and the numbers become a little bit clearer, you know, other you know, targets, you know, choose other programs, you know, guys move up and down the board is to see who in Pennsylvania potentially emerges as a senior um, it happens every year that guys, you know, late bloomers, you know, they hit their growth spurt later, they have a really good summer training or the light bulb goes off or whatever, whatever the case might be, all of a sudden become big 10 
Penn State type of players. And, that and so player, that'll, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I think there are some guys, and we won't get into that now, that have that potential. Oh, Matt, Matt, um, that player, that player, number nine in composite, but number one in 24-7, his name is Joey Porter Jr. That's And he just received a Penn State offer a couple of weeks ago. All three of his crystal balls are for Penn State. So uh, Steelers, fans, Steelers fans, congratulations because... You know, you guys still like Joey Porter. Um, but I, the the big elephant in the room with all this, though, is the new recruiting calendar. For the first time last year, we had the early signing day, which allowed players over the course of a three- or four-day period in December to sign their letters of intent. Um, and as we saw, virtually all of Penn State's class did that. The only guys that the only guy that did it was actually Rasheed Walker. Uh, Jason Owe uh, was not announced as part of that, but he actually did sign during that early period and just announced it um, during the Under Armour game a couple weeks later. Um, but that was the first of several recruiting changes. Um, that's significant. This one is the biggest one to me. Recruits are able to take official visits as juniors during the, the spring. Um, high school juniors from April 1st to and I'm trying to find the, the description here of how this works. But so from April 1st through the Sunday before the last Wednesday in June, that is the most NCAA sentence you can possibly state or write. Um, so the, June 24th this year to make this easy for everyone. Um, so for almost three months or for almost, yeah, almost three months, we've got the opportunity for high school juniors to take official visits. And you ask Matt, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal for especially a place like Penn State that is not the easiest to get to or the most inexpensive place to get to is Penn State gets to pay legally for high school players and their families to visit State College and experience everything that Happy Valley has to offer. And there are a number of big-time players that are doing just that this weekend. Um, And it's been interesting for me as... Um, and actually a kind of a more casual observer of the recruiting world so far this year for a number of reasons to watch how Penn State's managed this because historically they've always wanted players to use their official visits, you know, in mass in this past year was in early December before the early signing day. Previously it was in kind of early to mid January, um, before the, the only signing day in previous years. So Penn State. That you're, I don't know the limit off the top of my head, but the, you have a limit on the number of official visits you're allowed to offer, so you can't just go out handing out uh, plane tickets and uh, hotel room vouchers to to anyone um, to get them to come visit. But they've got guys like Zach Harrison, who is the um, number three player nationally in the composite. I believe he's actually 247's number one player on their, their own rankings. He's a defensive end from about 15 miles north of Ohio Stadium in uh, Delaware County, Ohio, not too far from where I'm from. Um, he will be on campus officially this week, and we wrote about that a couple weeks ago. Um, Owen Papo, or Papo, I'm not sure he pronounced it, who is the number one off outside linebacker from Loganville, Georgia, will be on campus officially this weekend. Um, I don't expect him especially to end up in State College, but um, getting a guy like that on campus is certainly big. Um, Devin Ford, who is a running back uh, prospect from Virginia, is expected to officially visit. Um, two names that you probably are familiar with if you follow recruiting, Marquise Wilson and Tyler Rudolph, two defensive backs from Connecticut, are both expected to visit officially this weekend. And one that I just saw today come across Twitter, um, he's considered an athlete, but I think um, Penn State looks at him as a running back, 
uh, Ronald Tompkins, who's a four-star running back or athlete from Georgia, um, are the guys we know are expected on campus officially this weekend. And then you can even get into uh, a number of guys unofficially, like uh, four-star offensive guard Caden Wallace uh, unofficially visiting Xavier Trust, who might be one of the biggest stories of the uh, winter and early spring evaluation period, a big offensive tackle from Connecticut who went from virtual unknown to top 100 player nationally is expected here unofficially this weekend. Um, Just kind of going through the list here. Andre White Jr., who is a former uh, teammate of Micah Parsons and Damian Barber uh, from Harrisburg is coming up. Um, The guy that I think Bill and I are probably most excited about, Julian Fleming from Catawissa, Pennsylvania, Southern Columbia High School. Catawissa! Hell yeah! Is a... in my opinion, will be the number one player in the country in the 2020 class. Um, just an absolutely electrifying wide receiver talent. Um, we'll be back on campus unofficially this weekend. Um, there are a number more, um, but this this could be, from a pure rankings perspective, the, the deepest recruiting weekend um, in James Franklin's tenure. Um, now, how many of those guys are, are serious prospects for Penn State? To some degree, they all are because they're all taking time, especially the unofficial ones, to to visit um, on their own time and money this weekend. Um, but I think um, and it's something that uh, Sean Fitz has told me a couple times from 247 that you don't necessarily look for commits this weekend. I think we'll see a couple, and uh, I'll just tease that. I'm not going to spill any beans because I'm not sure um, you know what, what needs to be out there at this point. But not just the commit, the actual commitments that happen over the weekends, number of guys that are there that weekend that eventually become members of the class. We talk about that a lot with the, the lash bash in July. Um, there's always a few guys that, that announce their commitments then, but even more important, the number of guys that will commit down the road um, that were there that weekend. So that's just a, a small sampling of the, the level of talent that's going to be on campus this weekend. Yeah. And you, I mean, one dude that you didn't mention that I, I, I thought, was public that he was coming, and it is public that he's coming. Uh, Antonio Alfano, uh, potential five star, you know, high four star kid, has the talent to be a five star kid. There have been some off the field things that he has been trying to work on. Uh, and I, you know, uh, your fingers crossed. I, I forgot another big one here, Bill. And this is, Go ahead. Uh, Craig will yell at me if I don't mention this one, but Brian Brees, uh, yeah. the art will. I say Julian Fleming will be the number one player in the country in 2020. Brian Brees probably is the number one player in the country. If Julian Fleming there. isn't, Brian Brees is. Like it, it, and, yeah, and they're, if they're, Brian they're Brees is, he's going to be number two players. to Julian Fleming. Like, uh, but Brian Brees is a big-time defensive lineman out of uh, out of Maryland. Uh, is he DeMatha Bill? I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, he's, gonna, he's a guy that if, if you coach college football in the United States, you want him to come play for you. He's a, a Damascus. Okay, so I was, yeah. I was half right. Number number one kid, again, he's one of those kids who, he wouldn't, I, obviously if you get the number one player in the country, that's huge. But for Penn State to get him, it'll have to beat out Florida State, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn, uh, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, like Texas A&M. Every school wants this kid. And... You know, I think it's safe to assume. You never want to assume with offers whether they're committable or not. I think it's pretty safe to assume that every place that has offered him has given him a committable offer. If Penn State is able to get him, that's a massive, massive win for Penn State, especially considering the belief 
that Julian Fleming is going to come here. If Penn State could go 1-2 in 2020, that would be awesome. Uh, that would be a huge, huge, great thing for the program. But looking to 2019, it, it's just such... It's a little bit... Uh, when you're just looking at it, uh, the fact that Penn State's 50th with two kids, uh, it's not something that you love seeing. You want to see Penn State get out and you want to see Penn State load up their class. You want to see us, I mean, like Mississippi State's at nine kids. Uh, Penn State's all, for as long as Joe Moorhead's there, is going to be unfairly compared to Mississippi State and vice versa. But it's I'll put it this yeah. way, Bill. Until about 10 days ago, Ohio State was virtually in the same boat as Penn State. They had, I think, three yep. commits. Yep. Um, I think they were raised a little bit higher, but they just had their uh, their annual spring game last weekend in um I'm just going to put this out there because they only had about 47,000 there, I think, is the estimate I saw. Um, so for the first time in a long time, especially if the weather holds out this weekend like it should, Penn State will probably have the uh, the largest spring game attendance uh, in the Big Ten, if not the country. That wouldn't be, um, that wouldn't be which, bad. Which, as you said earlier, um, you know that that will be make its way into more than a couple social media posts and uh, <laughs> rec- recruiting mailings that go out over the next uh, few weeks after uh, after things wrap up this weekend. Um, but the point being is that Ohio State's doing very much what Penn State's doing um, with the new recruiting calendar where they were having a lot of kids come on campus around the spring game, around that pseudo game day environment. And just in the last 10 days or so, they've had, uh, I believe it's three or four kids commit, you know, all, all guys that they were expected to get that, um, you know, similar situation to put what Penn State's in for a number of players um, where they're in a good spot, but because of these new recruiting rules with official visits and, and whatnot. Um, guys are just taking advantage of the opportunity to, to go see a few more places, make sure they're, they're, they're really sure this is what, where they want to be um, for the next four or five years. I think, you know, just to put this out there, I think ultimately that's going to be a good thing for, for both players and schools. I think it gives both sides an opportunity to get to know each other better and make just a more informed decision because they're going to have, have more information to make the decision with. Right, and we are at a point where uh, the way the recruiting calendar always uh, the the way the recruiting calendar now works uh, with the early signing period being a thing that exists, a thing that is pushing up the timetable through which kids have to make a decision. Because for how much. You know, the early early signing period, in theory, is a really, really good thing. It's good that kids who want, who know where they want to school are to go to school, are able to get settled and get that all taken care of. There is the inherent weirdness of, oh yeah, I'm committed to you, I just don't want to sign yet, which kind of takes away from the kids' recruiting experience. It, what if like if you're a kid who is committed to a school and you're not signed signing on the dotted line during the early signing period. That has to be a weird feeling. So it's good that there's been a little bit of leeway given to kids where they now have the flexibility to say, I don't need to make a decision right right away. I, in the spring, I can go and try and make as informed a decision as possible. I can look at the schools that I want to take official visits to. And it's really great. I mean, a, a kid like Owen Popo, who is probably staying down in Georgia – because or down in the south, very likely in Georgia, because he is a kid from Georgia, and Kirby is uh, a madman. You look at a kid like him. The fact that he's coming up for Penn, to Penn State, uh, 
Like, yeah, it's really cool that Penn State is getting him on campus. And, you know, when the old adage that is said around here is all you need to do is get a kid on campus. But even if he doesn't, like, it's just a cool experience that a 17, 18-year-old kid who wouldn't have the opportunity to do this under normal circumstances is now given that opportunity. So this is cool. Uh, I'm glad that these recruits are going to come on campus. And I hope that all the good ones commit to Penn State because that would um, be awesome. Uh, is there anything else um, we're missing with uh, recruiting stuff, Matt? Not really. I think, like I said, there's a, a couple kids that um, are expected on campus this weekend that I think are, um, I won't say expected to commit, but the indications seem to be that we will probably get a couple this weekend from from what we've heard. Um, so stay tuned on that, I guess. Watch watch your Twitter feed. Um, up, refresh James Franklin's Twitter page every 10 seconds starting um, Saturday morning. Or do what Bill and I have both done and uh, register for text alerts from James Franklin's Twitter account. Oh, so great. every time he tweets, you get a text. And because they all start with the we are hashtag, you have that little, especially on weekends like this where you know good news is probably coming at some point, every tweet makes, you know, you have that split second where you think this might be the, the moment we get to rush to the website and hit publish on something. Um, but uh, no, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it'll be cool to see the, the number of players that actually follow through. Inevitably there's guys that we, ex- that we mentioned that we expect this weekend that don't make it either because rides fall through or because they, um, you know, weather comes up or they have a family obligation. Um, especially the kids that are making unofficial visits that aren't reliant on, you know, travel arrangements that uh, Penn State helps them with. So, yeah, but seeing the kids that, that follow through, um, you know, I always like looking at the social media reactions, you know, don't, don't read too much into teens, Twitter accounts, but um, just for me, a guy who's, who's been a Penn State fan for almost 20 years now um, and remembers some of the, the old days of recruiting um, seeing the, the level of excitement around the program and just the, the number, like I said earlier, the amount of talent that's going to be on campus this weekend um, is just kind of the next step in the evolution of the program um, where you've got kids from Florida, you've got kids from Texas, you've got kids from Georgia, you've got some of the best players in the country that even just three or four years ago, um, those types of kids weren't even, you know, they get their Penn State offer and, you know, it go in the file and, and they move on. Now it, it means, means something to get an offer from Penn State. They're, they're viewed um, along the same lines as some of those elite programs in the country. And as, as the wins continue to pile up and other, other big-time players commit, that's only going to continue. So um, I guess the, the, the old stogie or old fogey in me is, uh, is excited to see um, just you know, the amount of, of talent that's, that's taking the time to visit Penn State. Um, and knowing that, uh, as we've seen from the staff, that you get those guys on campus, you really don't know what, what might happen. You know, you, um, you show them all the things that, you know, like people like Bill and I fell in love with about Penn state and then all the football, um, aspects of it. Um, you never know what's, what will happen. So, um, you know, as, as anyone who's followed this will tell you or, or tell, or, uh, say, just get them on campus and who knows what will happen. Um, you know, they're for a lot of these kids, they don't know a whole lot about Penn state. They, they grew up, you know, during their, the, the, parts of their lives where they were, you know, forming, you know, deciding who, who they were their favorite schools and who was fun and exciting and who was good. And, um, Penn state wasn't that until recently. So I think this is, um, 
Penn State fans get it, but there's a, a, a whole big chunk of the country and a whole um, generation or more that doesn't know the Penn State that, that we know. And so I think this is the, the opportunity that for a lot of these kids to see that for the first time and uh, you know, realize that you know, Penn State can offer them from a football standpoint especially, um, not to mention all the other things, the, the type of college football experience that an Ohio State or a Michigan or um, Alabama or Florida State or Clemson can offer them. They, they have the same facilities. They play the same big-time games. They compete for championships. Um, and so this, this is the opportunity to show, show these kids that, and um, you know, who knows what comes out of it. Hopefully, you know, what comes out of it is a spring game where nobody gets hurt and because the biggest win that you can get in a spring game is nobody gets hurt. And, of course, hopefully it leads to a couple of, uh, couple of commits and a couple of kids deciding that the next three to five years of their life would best be spent in, uh, in Happy Valley. Matt, this is fun. Good to uh, talk to you again, Bill. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I could ramble on for two more hours, but this isn't a Sunday <laughs> podcast, so we won't do that. Right, and uh, the Cavs just won, so you have to go celebrate uh, that and the fact that Kevin Love's hand apparently isn't broken, so always it, good. It will, it will fall off overnight, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll relish this for the time being and uh, you know see if we can't get a couple in Indianapolis over the weekend. For sure. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully the next time, or closer to the season, once we start doing these again, hopefully Nick Polak will be back from his jewel heist in Ibiza. But until then, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the site. Thanks for th- thanks for seeing that we did a football podcast and going, hey, I want to listen to that because it's something we always appreciate. Uh, just in case y'all thought we were becoming a basketball podcast, which we are, but neither here nor there. Uh, keep reading the site. Keep supporting the site. Keep sharing the stuff that we write. Keep buying our shirts. Uh, Keep follow us on Facebook, Twitter, subscribe, all that stuff. You've heard me do the rant enough times. You know it by heart by now. And I'm mostly just saying that because I still don't know all the places where the podcast is available. One more time, thank you for listening. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Enjoy Blue White Weekend, everyone.